Hello, and welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and my guest today is the one and only, the incomparable Vienna Farron. She is a good pal. She is a world-renowned therapist. She is one of New York City's most sought-after relationship therapists. She's been in practice for more than 15 years. She owns and operates and is the founder of Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy. She's been featured in The Economist and on Netflix and currently lives in New York with her husband, Mr. Man Talks, Connor Beaton, who is a good pal of mine. V is amazing. She's so amazing. And she has a new book out, which is her very first book ever. Her book is called The Origins of You. It's how breaking family patterns can liberate the way we live and love. It is all about the first lessons that were imprinted on you related to love and conflict, safety, communication, trust, whether that was healthy or dysfunctional, whether it wounded you or healed you, the beliefs and behaviors that came after those things is what the book's all about. It's about the present day behaviors that can be traced back to those original origin stories of your family system. And in this conversation, we dive deep into all of that stuff. And V is so eloquent and so knowledgeable and so brilliant. She's literally one of the best in the game. And I'm so impressed by her and I just adore her so much. I unfortunately have not received her book in the mail yet because the Canada Post is taking so long that I have not got the book yet. So I don't know how great it is. I've not read it myself. I've heard incredible things. I think it was on the bestseller list for a minute. Regardless, you're going to love this one. This is V's second time on the podcast. She was back way back when, I think episode 35. If you want more of her after this one, you can dive into that. And yeah, there's some show notes with her Instagram. She's on Instagram at mindfulmft. Definitely give her a follow. Got a website. And I've got a link to the book, too, if you want to check that out. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, here is Vienna Farron. All right, Vienna Farron. Video and audio? Sorry, do you do video and audio? Yeah, you look great, so let's do it. And I have recently got a chunk of my face cut off, so I have a bandaid on my face. Um, So I look great, too. Yeah. All right. You ever had that? You ever had stuff cut off your body? It's a weird first question. I've had but... a mole cut off. I have had a mole cut off my back before. It's so odd. Or like sliced. I don't yeah. know if you got dug out, but I was I was sliced. It was sliced. And then they're like making small talk while it's happening as if it's no big deal that you're getting your body cut off. Anyway. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> good intro. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been so long since you've been here. Uh, Previously, you were not a best-selling author or a mother, so your mm. identity has shifted since then. But to those who have no idea who you are, like, how do you describe yourself? Well, hello. <laughs> My name is Vienna Farron. Now, I am a marriage and family therapist. Um, I work with individuals, couples, and families. My focus is on resolving that which is unresolved in our lives 
And I like looking at the origin wounds that we accrue in our families and seeing all that stuff through the lens of understanding the family systems we grew up in, um, our family of origin, and yeah, just understanding how the past is still influencing and affecting us today. All of the unwanted patterns in our lives that we can't shake, that we can't change, that we keep coming back around to, like that's letting us know that there's unresolved pain that needs our attention and needs us to address it um, in order for us to choose differently now. So yeah, that's my like little blurb about myself, I guess. Yeah, you're like a an archaeologist of sorts of of like a like an internal systems archaeologist where you're digging into what was and seeing how it affects what is is that fair mm-hmm. yeah and it's you know this work is not about turning backwards so that we stay there you know i'm very clear that us turning our heads back around is this intentional, deliberate thing that we do with the goal of moving forward in our lives right now. I think sometimes people are like, eh, like I don't want to go back, or it was so long ago, or like, really, we're gonna have to look at my family again. Like, I don't even see them now. You know, it's like there's a lot of reasons that people don't want to go there. And, you know, valid points. We're so scared of opening up Pandora's box or we've gotten those relationships to a good enough place now as adults. And we're like, I don't want to mess with it. Or even we might have a parent who's deceased and it can feel scary to open something up and know that we might not be able to you know, resolve it or reconcile it if there is something that's there. Um, we argue that they did the best that they could or that they were so much better than their parents were to them. You know, it's like the the stories are endless as to why we don't want to go there. And, you know, sometimes it's easier to idealize it. It's like, great. And my core needs were met. And like, let's just leave it there. And, oh gosh, if only it were so easy, you know, and I've been working with people for a really long time now. I've seen people in therapy it's not even the years, it's like the tens of thousands of hours that I've worked alongside of people. And it always comes back to this, you know, it just does. And it doesn't mean that everything is this, but something is this. And that's, that's the important part is, yeah, we need to look, we don't need to hang out there forever. And this is totally about us moving forward, but we do need to understand the pain that happened a long time ago that created these origin wounds that I talk about in the book um, that need our attention and need our witnessing so that we can change the path now. Yeah. What's the kind of pitch that you would make to people who are extremely resistant to therapy in general or opening those Pandora's boxes, et cetera? Like what, why is therapy good and what is therapy? The, you know, it's, if a person's resistant, the pitch is like, I'll just see you later. <laughs> you know, like, right? It's like, no, no, like you'll come to it at some point. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. No, not that I'm too busy. It's like when you're ready, you know, because I can sit here and I can, I could pitch you and give you all the reasons why. And I can tell you my story and I could tell you the story of, you know, hundreds of people 
it doesn't matter when you're committed to the resistance, when you don't want to look there, there's a reason that you don't, and that's okay. You know, but I think what I, what I know will happen eventually is that that person is either going to get so fed up with the pattern that they can't stop engaging in whatever it might be, the conflict that they keep having, the fact that people keep leaving them, they keep uh, pursuing unavailable humans to date. They can't set the boundary that they promised themselves that they're going to set for the umpteenth time, right? Whatever the story is, right? it's like they're either going to get so exhausted and tired and frustrated and annoyed by it, or they'll, they'll eventually die. You know, like, it's like, you'll either commit to it for the rest of your life, right? Where you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to double down on this and I'm not going to, it's everybody else's fault or, you know, this keeps all happening to me. And, you know, you're either going to stay in that forever, right? Until you exit this world, right? Or you'll get annoyed, frustrated, irritated enough, like kind of come to your knees, have that break moment where you're like, I got to look at this. And that's when that opening of, okay, can I trust someone to help guide me into this space? And I didn't mean for that to sound like cynical or whatever, but it's like, I think that's kind of the path, right? It's like, we, we either look at something that isn't working out for us. The thing that keeps us in our suffering, the keep, the thing that just keeps us in our cycles and our loops and our pain or we persist and we keep on and we say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to look at this or I'm not going to explore that. And then eventually like it's over. The end. So, <laughs> so, you know, what is therapy? Therapy can look a lot of different ways. And I, I believe that this work Therapy, therapeutic work can look as many ways as there are humans on this planet. However, with the caveat that I could cannot understand this work that doesn't include understanding where you came from. That has got to be a part of it, no matter which theory you go down or which belief that you have or, you know, what you use to access it, right? It's like, we must understand and look at the family systems that we grew up in. These are our frameworks. These are our foundations. This is our education, our first education on just about everything. Yes, there are influences that come into the mix at some point, but we need to look at this stuff and we need to understand the ways in which you maybe didn't feel good enough, deserving, valuable, the conditions of love that you learned to understand through your family, how you showed up in those conditions. Did you need to be a perfectionist, a performer, a pleaser, the comic relief in order to get love, connection, attention, validation? Or we need to look at the ways in which you felt different or you didn't fit in, that you were the black sheep of the family. We have to look at the ways in which you felt deprioritized, how parents chose something else other than you to give their attention to right? We need to look at the ways in which you lost trust in the important people in your life and in yourself and all of the ways that your well-being was not cared for or respected or honored or protected, right? Like these are the things that we need to connect to, even though it's hard and it's confronting, 
but we need to be able to spend time with the real stuff that happened in our lives. Because when we're tiny, whether we're four or five, six or 14 or 22, it's like, we don't know how to witness our pain. Then we just survive. You know, we just push through, we knuckle, we white knuckle our way through. And there comes a point in our lives where we have to turn back around and witness that which we were not able to witness back then. You're very eloquent. I don't remember you being this eloquent when we interviewed the first time five years ago. I think you're like, I've grown in five years. You're like, you're so good now. Like, wow, forget because I'm friends with you and I hang out with you and stuff like, damn, (laughs) she's good. I have a sort of a random question, but it came up. So I figured I'd throw it out there. What attributes in an individual make them a good client or a good, uh, like that they're doing the work well, so to speak. Like, I imagine you have a wide array of clients who are getting certain results in certain ways. Like, are there specific characteristics or things that mm. people listening can be like, what do I need to actually dive in and get the most out of this work or your book, for example? Yeah. When you say good, do you mean like most likely to experience healing? Yeah, I think to to get the most out of the, I guess, most efficient, I guess, in terms of how they're utilizing their time and energy to get the most bang for the buck. And so I suppose yeah, healing would be a means to a fulfilling, regulated, peaceful life, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, which is what sense. I would argue that this work is. Yeah, this is, and that is what I would argue that this work is, is that there's an inner peace that you know, that you, Um, that you get to experience, you know, on the other side of it, um, receptive, open, willing to be challenged, non-defensive, willing to see your part, not focused on everybody else, right? It's like, we contribute, we participate. And there's sometimes that's hard for folks, right? Where it's like, uh, it's everybody else. And, you know, here are the things that happened, right? It's like, yes, yes. Right. That's, that's the origin pain and that's the origin stories. And also how am I participating in my life today that maintains those wounds? And so when you have people who are willing to take a look, that's so helpful and they're willing to receive feedback. Yeah, that's it. And they want to, you know, it's like they they actually want to achieve the goals, whether that's inner peace, whether that's a better relationship with self, better relationship with others, right? It's like they're really committed to that and they're, they are willing and ready to be led. And that's, yeah, that's a beautiful equation for working through this stuff. And it's, again, not easy to look at how we as adults now contribute, participate, maintain some of the dysfunction. But when we can, when I, I always say it's so important to be able to hold ourselves in regard, even when we are receiving feedback about ourselves that's challenging because when you receive feedback and it drops your worth to the to the floor it's very hard to move from that space but when you can receive feedback and still see yourself as 
a human you respect, a human you admire, a human you like. And it's like, then we can work with that. But it can be really, really challenging when feedback feels like failure or feedback feels like you're not good enough or feedback feels like, yeah, you're just screwing all of this up and you're, you know, you're a shithead and this, that, and the other. And it's like, yeah, when that happens, then shame and embarrassment and guilt, like all of that starts to, to block. Um, and we can work with that in therapy too. But, you know, the ideal uh, scenario is... Yeah, someone who's able to receive that and use it as the catalyst to change the patterns and, you know, break free from it. And then is it fair to suggest that the way that an individual receives that kind of feedback, whether in therapy or in relationship, is directly tied to their family system and origin stories from upbringing? Like it's all enmeshed. Yeah. So you might be talking to somebody about their family and their response or reaction to that discussion will also be based upon the family. So it seems like you're perpetually yeah, the, untangling this stuff. Yeah. You're untangling. That's well said. Yeah. Our reactivity is a great indicator of something that's unresolved. And so that can look a number of different ways. In the book, I talk about five origin wounds, which are worthiness, belonging, prioritization, trust, and safety. And so when we get reactive about something that someone tells us, when we start to track it, right? We're going to see that it's either tied to, okay, I am reacting because in this moment, I don't feel good enough. In this moment, I feel like a failure. In this moment, I feel like I, I'm on the outside or like I don't fit in or I'm not being prioritized or I don't feel safe with the way that you just said that or I can't trust you, right? It's like there's an activation there that's going to be tied to something that's unresolved around any of those things or even multiples of those things. And that's, you know, reactivity is a great invitation for us. Reactivity, blowing things out of proportion, the dis uh, unwanted dysfunctional patterns in our lives, sabotage, and my favorite, not my favorite, but like the one that I think sometimes people don't realize is like giving advice that you can't take. Oh, that's a good one. Right. These are really good indicators that something within you is unresolved that needs your attention. That last one, I feel like I have had many experiences when I'm working with a client and I'll hear myself say something to them. And then a little voice inside of me is like, oh, really? Really? Oh, they should do that. Do you have that experience as well occasionally? Um, or let, let, me ask, let me ask another question. If you're willing to share, what was the last thing in your own life where you realized that you were being reactive about something and then you unpacked it, had an epiphany, made a shift, mm -hmm. like, like a, an example from your own experience or your own relationship where you've kind of mm -hmm. walked what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The most recent, and it's kind of, well, it's oh, ironic, smirking. kind of, Yeah. So my book published on February 21st and in my book is there's some personal stories of my life and I share a little bit about my parents as well. 
And I had talked to my parents about what was going to be in the book ahead of time, but neither one of them had read it. Uh, my mom did read it about a week uh, before, but my my dad had not. He got his copy on pub day. And the next day I was doing two events at the 92nd Street Y in, in New York City. And in between those two events, I received a text message from my mom. And she said, Vienna, your, your dad is really upset. He's really hurt by the book. He doesn't want to see you or speak to you. And, you know, I received this text message and, you know, the show must go on. So like Mark and I are getting ready to go back on stage. <clears throat> Just to lay the foundation here, like there's a couple hundred people in a live audience. You're the main deal. It's a big yeah, part of your It's book. about um, the book. Yeah. And I, uh, it's the irony is that one of the chapters where I talk about my worthiness wound and how that's related to the conditional love that I received from my dad, which was around him. Uh, he would give me the silent treatment when I was difficult, when I was, uh, when I would express something that he didn't like when I was easygoing love, validation, connection, support, like phenomenal. And then when I was challenging and difficult and expressed something that was, you know, contrarian to what he wanted, believed, whatever, then that was what the punishment was. So I'm, you know, therapist me gets like a bit of a chuckle, like, did you get to that chapter yet, dad? You know, like, right, like, here's this thing playing out. We've talked about it before, you know, all the things. Um, but like daughter me, you know, like little girl, me, like adult me is like, what the fuck? You know, like here's this moment that like we're, we're so celebrating, you know, and like it, it's still centered around someone else's experience other than mine, which if you read the book, you'll understand that that's a big part of the story is a little girl going through the divorce process, which was a nine-year divorce process, uh, like flying under the radar, pretending like I was fine, saying I was unaffected by things, unbothered by things to try to make sure that the system was okay. I saw two adults not okay. And so in order to try to relieve them, I pretended like I was fine. And so you have this like moment again, right? Where it's like, I speak something out in a book. You don't like the way that it comes across, which listen, I get that that's hard and confronting and all the things. Um, but here's this moment. And yeah, you know, I think walking the walk is, I, you know, I felt hurt and, you know, disappointed in that moment, but I was also really at peace with it. Like, it's not actually my job or responsibility to take care of your emotional experience of this. And that felt very true for me, which was very different than obviously what my childhood and teen years and 20s looked like because I was very deeply connected to like, I need to protect both of them. I need to say the right things all the, the time. I want to try to move myself out of this space of you being upset 
upset with me. And that felt very different. And that's not the first time, right? But this was the, you asked what was the last time where there was a moment like this. Um, I've kind of, I've existed in that in, you know, for, for some time now, but yeah, there was this, uh, yeah, this moment where it was just like, wow. And we had a conversation about a week later, we had, we had spoken a little bit in between, but I was, I was still getting the cold shoulder for a bit. One word answers for the win. Ah, love them. And finally, when we spoke, I said, I know that you're upset and like, let's talk about it. And he said, well, you know, there's context. And I said, dad, I know that there's context. I actually know what the story is. And he's like, well, how, how, how do you know what the story is? It's like, cause you guys told, you know, you told me what the story is. I know what the context is. And well, what's the context? And I tell him what the context is. And he's like, okay. I was like, but I got to tell you, the reason I didn't put the context into the book is because context is a distraction. It was very intentional for me to not put the context of this story in the book because the book was about honoring the pain of my five-year-old self. Five-year-olds don't understand context. Five-year-olds understand what's happening inside of them, that that's so scary, that's so overwhelming. And so I needed to not put the context in because that's that's the distraction away from the work. And he said he understood. And then he said, I think I may have reacted too quickly. I said, okay. And then we went on with it. You know, so that that's a great example, I think, of just like, yep, there's this moment. And because I'm in this work and I have, you know, gotten myself to a pretty good place overall, I can I can manage this stuff. But I did need to take a moment in it to not just be the like wise, mature adult me, but to connect to that inner child who always had to operate this way and to just like set, you know, to just like acknowledge and and name what was happening there. And that is like, sorry, you know, sorry that you're having to go through, like, sorry that this isn't just a celebratory moment of what's happening in your life right now. Like huge, huge, huge moment. And, and also like, great. There's a path forward here, which was lovely. Know that that's not everybody's scenario, but uh, yeah, that's the that's the last one I can think of. Yeah, thank you for sharing. It's it's just one of those classic moves from the universe where you're like, really, like now this, (laughs) Uh like my big day in New York City, like between the Uh events, like perfectly timed. It just seems like there's always someone looking down at us, kind of giggling, mm-hmm. like, yeah, she, she's ready for this test now. And let's throw a <laughs> wrench in the system. Now go talk about origin wounds in front of all these people. Right. You're like, totally. oh, that's, there's something comical about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if you could elaborate more about what it was like to share some deeply personal stories about your family, knowing yourself and your family as well as you do. Um, and like having to pick and choose how you navigate that content mm-hmm. to protect certain parts, but also recognizing where that line is between protection and feeling okay sharing. Mm-hmm. You say yeah, I sh- I shared things that are placed, meaning they're not messy for me anymore. I didn't. I think that that's very important for people 
in a therapeutic role to share from a place of, I guess, integration, if you will. I'll never share story parts of my life that are messy. And part of that for therapists is because it's very important that we don't create dynamics for clients where they feel like they need to take care of us in any way. So I don't need anybody to take care of me, or I should say, I've got my crowd of humans who are the right people to be caring for me, clients, the public, like that's not the space for that. And so my book, you know, the stories that I share there that are about me, these stories are not, they're not charged stories for me. You know, they're, they're placed, they've been felt, they've been witnessed, they've been grieved, they've been put down and I can share them because they are of service to other people. And I don't need to, um, like, I don't need to be with those stories any differently than I've already been with them before. And so, you know, I, at a high level, talked to my parents about what I was going to put into the book. And they were, you know, okay with it, knowing that there was, you know, maybe some sensitivity. Again, I think reading it on a page can feel different in the moment. Um, and so I, you know, I, I understand that. But yeah, that's that's the line for me is I we we used to be these blank slate therapists where a client doesn't know anything about the therapist's life whatsoever. And that's always felt a bit off for me. I don't need people to know all of the things about my life, of course, but there's something that, you know, humanizes the experience. I think when they're like, okay, I know you as a human, not just as a therapist. And I think there's something about, you know, us being off of pedestals. That's so important and valuable. I think sometimes people are like, oh, if you're a therapist, you must, well, I guess there's two camps, (laughs) the camps that are like, you must have your life together or the camp that's like, you must be so screwed up. But I I do think generally speaking, there's the pedestaling part of your life must be so good and so put together. And if this is the way that you talk about things and you must stay regulated and calm and grounded all the time. And I'm like, oh yeah, I raised my voice like last week. You know, it's like, no, 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 that's important for people to hear that healing right? There's, it's not a destination, right? It's like we come into contact with things that are going to activate us and bring us back to the work. And yeah, there might be more gaps or yes, we might be able to stay more regulated or something that might not upset me the way that it did 10 years ago, which is so true, but it doesn't mean that I'm not a human who has reactions, who sometimes still proves her point and wants to be right. Um, and who gets hurt or says something that she wishes she could take back. You know, it's like that exists too. And so to the point of the value of being someone who can share parts of my story that are of service to either my clients or now, you know, this public forum of having a book out in the world, you know, like, no, that that's my gift to people to say, here's how I moved through this. You know, here's what this looked like for me. And if that relates to you in some way, take it, you know, use it. Yeah, at a simplistic level, it sounds like the stories are scars, not wounds. Is that Mm -hmm. fair? The stuff you've included, it's like, no, it might appear to you reading it 
from your context and your life experience in this moment that like, this is traumatic and raw and vulnerable and blah, blah, blah. But to you as the author, it, it might be like, no, that happened. I've wrapped a bow around it. It's healed. I've processed. And now I'm sharing it mm -hmm. because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so intrigued by uh, this other idea. So we touched at the beginning about people's resistance to therapy. Um, but I also have come across and myself uh, occasionally refuse to let go of past pain. It's like we interact with people, we follow people, we hold on to old stories and memories, we make decisions that we know on some level are going to bring us pain that are unhealthy, that are not the path to healing. But we continue to latch on to those things deeply. Mm -hmm. Why do we hold on to things that we know will bring us pain? Does that question make sense? Well, I think so. And I would say that it's it's still the attempt at getting us to be with the pain. Whether it's the pain that is in the moment of still trying to stay connected to, I don't know, somebody who's not interested in being connected to you or you know something like that. Whatever that's representative of, though right, is trying to keep bringing you back to the original pain that hasn't been addressed, which is, uh, if I were just worthy enough or good enough, you would want to be with me, or you would respond to me, or I'd be important enough, am I not important enough to you? What, you know, whatever whatever the, the behavior might be is still going to be linked to a wound that has not had enough attention from us, right? Why do we choose behaviors that we know are not good for us? Yeah, it brings us to our pain. It brings us to something that still needs our attention so that we have to, we don't have to keep choosing it. Does that make sense? So the pain in some way is the path to healing and that we keep mm -hmm. coming back to that pain as an indicator of the work required to heal that pain, even though in the moment we might not see it that way. Yes. But this is now, I think, too abstract okay. for like, I almost want to make it uh, more specific for a listener where it's like, okay. But you use like choose... one example, perhaps like one specific example to work through. Like, yeah. Why Were can't you I thinking something? No, but like I can make one up for you. Okay. Uh, um, okay. Let's I'll... hear the one you've got. Okay. Vienna, uh, all, like suddenly trying to do, to do a, a voice of uh, Vienna. All my, all my friends and family uh, hate my partner and they tell me that he's not great for me. And I know that he's mm -hmm. not great for me, but I can't seem to leave him. Is this mm -hmm. a useful example? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's okay. a, it's a perfectly good example. Okay. Um, so the pain is staying with someone who's not a good fit. Everybody sees it. I know it too, but I just can't leave. Right. Yeah. Why can't I not, why can't I leave a relationship? That's not good for me. That brings okay. me so, so much the question pain. Is, yeah. That brings me so much pain. Okay. So what does staying in that relationship serve meaning what wound does it bring you into contact with okay let's take it even further 
when how what's the story I tell myself about myself, right? Like how does it get internalized when I think about staying with this person who doesn't care about me, doesn't treat me well? What does that mean about me? I'm not good enough. I don't deserve anything better than this. I don't believe that I deserve anything better than this. This is the best that it gets. I'm supposed to be treated this way. Those are just ideas. Those are just examples of what it could be, right? And so whatever that answer is brings us to an origin wound that put that there in the first place. You don't deserve to be treated well. How did you learn that? Where'd that come from? You are not worth prioritizing. Where'd that come from? Did you have a parent who was a workaholic? Did you have uh, adults in your life where conflict was the main focus of whatever happened in the family and you were deprioritized by it? Did you have a sibling who had an illness that took all of the attention from your parents away from you? Like, what's the story that left you believing that to be true about yourself? So when we start to just kind of like track that, right, we're going to find an origin wound that is still playing out through the behavior that we're choosing in our adult lives. And then your book, I, I, I still haven't got your book. The Canada Post system is a is That's a thing. Wild. It is on par with Spirit Airlines at this point for me. It's a close second. <laughs> Had to work in, a close second. work in that. But um, so your book. You will my, never not mention spirit no, for the rest I, of your life. I, I messaged somebody <laughs> yesterday and just said, so long as I'm breathing, this grudge will not die. It's mm-hmm. too, it's too fulfilling for me. And yeah. maybe that is my own origin wound. That's a, there's an origin wound there. Yeah, there is. We, we should do another episode about spirit airlines. Just, just did. And even that, this is a random tangent, but. On one of the previous podcast episodes I did, I made a fake sponsorship ad at the beginning saying, hey, thanks. Thanks. We have a new sponsor. It's every airline on the planet except for Spirit Airlines. But anyway, we're getting well (laughs) off track. So my Mm -hmm. book, your book, has not arrived yet. I've not had a chance to read it. But my understanding is that it provides a process for the reader to navigate their own origin wounds. And so maybe can you talk a little bit about what the book is, how it does that, et cetera? Yeah. So I dive into the five origin wounds and tell stories and, um, you know, I, I loved I loved the storytelling, but the, the the stories of clients, people I've worked with, that will show you uh, what a worthiness wound is, what a belonging wound, prioritization, trust and safety wound is, and yeah, that those chapters are really all about identifying our wounds, right? Helping us connect to the pain that we carry. The origin healing practice. Um, is a four-step practice. I'll remind people listening that this is a four-step practice that we do over and over and over again for the rest of our lives, right? But so not like I'll do these four steps and then I'm done, right? But to identify what the wounds are. Next step, huge. We can't heal without being witnessed, period. 
Ain't no way around it. You must have your pain witnessed. It's required. And that's first probably going to start with you, you with you, right? Is that like, well, when we slow down, when we actually connect to and identify the wound and we don't do the explanation stuff, we don't do the rationalizing. We don't say, well, they were so great in all these other areas. No, no, no. We just identify the wound and we place a period after the sentence and we just hold space for it, right? Like then we step into that witnessing, right? Witnessing of the pain, witnessing what we went through, seeing ourselves, because at the end of the day, all of us want to be seen, heard and understood, right? Like that's, that's the thing. And so many times we try to package our pain in such a way that we try to get the person who put the pain there in the first place to see it and hear it and understand it and validate it and get it and affirm it. And we go on the merry-go-round and we package it nicely. Then we scream it at them. Then we write them a letter. You know, we do it in all these ways instead of turning back in, right? Where it's like people have limitations, they have constraints, they're not going to be able to move through their shame, their guilt, their embarrassment. They're going to have to defend themselves. They're going to call you selfish. They're going to find all the reasons and ways to move away from honoring what it is that you want them to honor. And so that acceptance is so important so that you can turn back to you and witness what it is that you experienced, witness what it is that you went through. I am a big believer, however, that if it's what relationships that contribute to the wounding, then we need relationships to participate in the healing. The good news is we just don't need the person who put it there in the first place to be that person. So trusted therapist, loving partner, incredible friends, and sometimes even as both you and I know, you know, strangers at a retreat who can just hold the space to see us and connect with us. So that witnessing piece has to happen, which naturally brings us into grieving, which is the authentic expression of emotion when we witness ourselves. You know, like when when that happens, right, that natural, authentic expression of the emotion that just allows it to move. Sometimes that looks like tears. Sometimes it might look like anger. You know, it can look like a lot of different things, but to just be in the grief of what was lost of what's been taken, the things from the past, the things that still happen today, you know, like how it still has a hold on us. Grief helps us move. We know uh, that we are a grief phobic society, uh, Stephen Jenkinson might say, and it's too bad, right? Because that's the thing that helps us move the pain and It's in those steps that the grip that pain has on us loosens. I think many of us are familiar with the uh, quote that's attributed to Viktor Frankl about between stimulus and response, there is a space. When we witness and grieve, that space widens. So it starts to pull, it stretches apart, right? The more witnessing, the more seeing, the more grieving that we do, there's more space between stimulus and response before the last step of my origin healing practice, which is pivoting, meaning like, what's the behavior? What path am I choosing, right? Is it an old pattern or is it my commitment to my healing and expansion goals? You know, is what I'm about to say or do an extension of my pain or an extension of my expansion healing goals. 
And like I said before, when we do that practice enough, when we understand our origin stories, when we understand our origin pain, when we see that in our partners or the people we care about and love in our lives, when we connect to that, when we witness, when we're in the grief, right? It's like, then we're not as controlled by it, right? When pain has less of a grip on us, then we don't react in the same way. Then we have the space to choose differently. Then we take the pause and we bring the awareness into the room in that moment. And we have that opportunity to choose the thing that we always do that keeps us in the dysfunction, that closes us down. Well, no, I'm not going to share that with them because I'm pissed off and I don't want to express myself and I'm going to pick a fight elsewhere and, you know, test them this way and that way. Or no, I'm just going to choose to tell you how I feel. Okay. Okay. So that's again, like I said, it's not a one and done. This is a forever and ever, but it's a practice that we can keep coming back into contact with every time we feel activated by something. How do you keep yourself motivated to continue doing personal development work on yourself? Because it feels good. Like at the end, like to remind yourself of the reward, so to speak. Yeah, because the alternative is terrible. What's the alternative being your current circumstances? Suffering. Yeah. You know, right? It's like, if I keep doing this thing that doesn't change, and it's like that that suffering, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the alternative is not great. And because I have really had the chance of experiencing what healing does. It's like, it's good. You know, (laughs) it's, it's the good stuff. Now it is hard as hell to get there. But then like, when you're like, oh, I can express myself. Oh, I can set a boundary. Oh, you being upset doesn't upset me. It's like, whoa, that's pretty incredible. Right. Mm. And so I think like, once you get the taste of that, it's like, yeah, I know that, we might traverse the hardship in the process, but I know that on the other side of it is something that is really delightful and staying in avoidance of that, you know, is like the alternative truly is suffering. And that's not something that I'm willing to stay in for a very long. Mm. So I'm hearing you say, I think like zoom out, longer time horizon don't forget the big Mm -hmm. picture short-term pain like yeah the burpees are gonna be terrible but like isn't gonna feel great to have health and vitality spring in my step kind of deal yeah so so there's no like magic pill or like no little snap your (laughs) fingers and now i'm enlightened and i fixed all my family origin stories from your book so sorry to say, I know it's so disappointing, isn't it? Maybe the next one. At the, like, maybe the next one, you know, the Cosmo articles from like 1995 that were like, here's five steps to be totally at peace with your family. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry, no. Uh, yeah. It, Here are the three steps to never fight again. Mm-hmm. I think to your point from earlier about the pedestal and how I think you and me and a bunch of our friends are kind of aligned in this idea of pedestal annihilation as being 
a really important step for everybody to recognize of, hey, I'm a marriage and family therapist and I have disagreements with my partner. It's like, you do? Like, oh, I occasionally use a loud voice and lose my temper and have to apologize. And I feel shame. It's like, what? You too? And I, I can't imagine following people online or going to therapy 20 years ago and just talking to this person that seemingly closed off, pedestalized, pretend. Um, mm-hmm. So I just really appreciate the way you navigate your life. And, oh, and well, and I'd say like, thank goodness for the fact that I get to be in conflict and I get to, you know, it's like, cause other also too, right? Like how on earth could I actually connect with people and get it? You know, there's something to, if you're not living in that ever, <laughs> it's like you almost like if I were actually on some pedestal, like existing in this vacuum of a life, it's like, that's so disconnected. The part of the reason why people feel deeply connected in my work is because I get what they're talking about. Cause I'm, I've been there and I'm in it sometimes. And it's like, that's the part, right? It's like, I know what you're talking about. Cause I've touched it too, you know, and that feels so important for people to know, but to also know that we, we do actually have a lot of tools and we exist well in this world. Yeah. So not necessarily despite the hiccups, but thank goodness for the hiccups, like adding spice and zest to our experiences. Well, these are the opportunities that help us learn more. You know, it's like, again, the vacuum sounds awful because it would mean that my learning was over. Yeah. Do you know, like every single time I am reactive, every single time there's a conflict, every single time, like that's the invitation to learn more if you're willing, Mm -hmm. you know, and I am fortunate to have a partner who's willing and who looks at it too. And, you know, majority of the time we're pulling up our sleeves together, (laughs) you know, to like get curious about it. And doesn't mean that there, you know, haven't been hard moments. Of course there have, but I really trust us to find the way through and understand what's showing up in these moments when they're there and recognizing that it's not just about this moment in time, that there's other stuff that's playing in. And when we understand our own and each other's stories with depth and complexity to it. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a treasure chest. You know, there's so much there and it all makes sense, you know, when you can, when you can see it that way. Do you have any tricks or um, maybe tricks is the right word. Like if, if you and see your partner, Connor Beaton to those listening runs man talks was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, cause he has his own book, et cetera. But do you have any, tricks for when you are having a disagreement or a heated dialogue and you see in him like, oh, he's reacting or he's dysregulated. Mm -hmm. Is there something internal that you say to yourself or that you picture to help you stay grounded and present or like, how do you navigate that? Yeah. It's actually really fascinating at this point in our relationship. I know when Connor's giving me feedback, that's actually about me. I can feel it. 
like, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's true. Truth. I can feel the truth. When Connor's giving me feedback, that's actually about him. I, the sensation in my body, Jeremy, it is so wild because it almost, I will never laugh, but it almost becomes humorous. Like I disengage from it immediately. I'm like, okay, you're spinning out. Like, it's like, it's this thing that is so clear to me that it's visceral now at this point in our relationship. And I, that's credit to how well we know each other and all that, but it's, it is a wild experience. I have never experienced something like this before. I can feel it in my body, in my bones, the moment he says something and I'm like, nope, not about like, it's, you're pointing it all at me, but it's not about me at all. That feels so clear to me because there's nothing defensive in my body at all. When he does it, I'm like, yep, done. It's you. And I'm not going to engage with you about it. I'm not participating in it. And then the alternative though, is it, is it, describe the other feeling when it lands and you're like, Oh, this is my stuff. Like this is about, cause me. I can feel, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it, I guess it probably comes from a different place in him. And I would say most of the time I can receive because usually Connor is kind and, you know, thoughtful and, you know, in his delivery of it. And so I can generally make space for it. Um, and then, yeah, when we're both in a, in a good place, you know, I think we're curious about each other and, um, because we know each other's story very well, it's not like we, you know, he and I actually do not exist in this like therapeutic, weird place where we're therapizing each other or anything like that. But I think because we know each other's stories very well, we might say like, um, yeah, does it like remind you of this or, you know, that's kind of like, that's how we talk anyway. So we might get very curious about what's familiar about what's coming up or, um, yeah, like what else do you know about this? Or, you know, we just kind of get curious with each other. Holding space. I think it's a helpful share to let listeners know of like kind of what the more advanced levels of this stuff are and that at Mm. one point there is like a visceral embodied knowing that from my perspective and having experienced this also it it feels easy it's Mm -hmm. just like okay that like just went straight Mm -hmm. over my head whereas previously that would have taken me weeks to get past that comment I would overanalyze Mm -hmm. although once I was chatting with Kendra and uh this is a lesson perhaps of depedestalizing myself, but also sharing how not to do it. Uh, We were talking and I had that moment that you described. And I said to her, look, this is not my shit. And then immediately she said to me, can I have some compassion, please? And I was like, oh, damn, I want to rewind and like do that over. Mm -hmm. And I just bite my tongue for a second. Uh, Vienna Farron, you're the best. I love you. I'm glad to know you. I'm so proud of you also. I was there when you were writing your book and seeing it come to fruition and all that you've done and created is just so inspiring. And for those listening, they can buy it everywhere, I assume, and they can find you on Instagram, Mm -hmm. but are there specific things you're guiding them to? Sure. Uh, Yeah. Instagram, mindful MFT as a marriage family therapy. Um, You can find most of the links for the stuff that I have going on in the link in my bio, but you can also go to viennafarin.com books, 
yeah, the origins of you, uh, anywhere that books are sold. Um, and Connor and I are leading a couple's weekend workshop in New York city, June 3rd and 4th. I don't know if you knew about it, but, um, it's going to, we're taking 40 couples live and then also doing a streaming option so people can join virtually as well. So, uh, yeah, sign up for that. Four zero couples, 40, 40 couples total in person. Um, and then, uh, yeah, anyone from back home who wants to who wants to join in. So it's going to be a really cool weekend. Excited to dive into some good stuff there. Awesome. All right, V. Thanks again. Thank you, Jar. So that is Vienna Farron. As mentioned, you can check the show notes and I've got links to her book, her website, her Instagram account, etc. I encourage you to follow her work. She is one of the best in the world at what she does. She's a good pal. She's a good human. She's a good mother. I adore her, and I trust her implicitly. So thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And as usual, please do share this with anybody that you think would benefit from these ideas and this conversation, because I am intentionally trying to have conversations that uplift the collective. So any part that you can play in sharing that, spreading the word, is greatly appreciated. I love you. I'm grateful for you. And I will talk to you soon. Oh, and if somehow you haven't found me yet, I'm on longdistancelovebombs.com and on Instagram at longdistancelovebombs. Shoot me a message if you've got guests that you want me to interview, topics you want me to cover, feedbacks, suggestions for improvement. I am all ears. Well, not all ears. It would be weird if my entire body was just all ears. That's an odd expression, isn't it? Anyway, with that tangent, I bid you adieu.